And I'll encourage the rest of you, if you have a Bible, you're going to need one, so go ahead and grab it. Um, John chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning, verses 5 through 15. Um, I grew up going to church. My dad was a, a pastor, and so I, I went to Sunday school, and I went to, you know, versions in Ontario of Kids Zone and Youth Group, and I have one very specific youth group memory just kind of burned into my, my brain. I, I was probably 13, 14 years old, and we were going to a, a citywide, like, youth rally, youth evening. And so we got on the bus, and we went to the church where it was being um, hosted, and that church uh, had kind of the reputation in town of being the very, very, very charismatic church. And so we went, and it was kind of a typical, you know, if you've been involved in youth ministry, or if you remember, it was the typical thing, right? There's food, and then there was games, and uh, embarrassing things that you had to do, and we all laughed, and I, and then it was a, a worship time and then a, a speaker. And I remember, you know, 14-year-old Andrew during the worship time seeing some pretty interesting things that people were doing. People were yelling and screaming out during the worship time. There was one boy who repeatedly ran into the side of, of the wall and was screaming. There, there was a few people rolling around on, on the floor at the front of the church, there was a lot of noises and sounds that was not English that I didn't understand. And this just kind of went on during the whole worship time. And I remember on the bus ride home, a few people were like, wow, wasn't that amazing how the Spirit of God showed up? And as a 14-year-old, I said, was that the Spirit of God? And as I began to think about, right, this is 14-year-old, but as my life went on, I began to read the Scripture and say, you know what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon people in the Scripture, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. Actually, it's demon-possessed people that act like that when you read your Bibles. So I remember wrestling with this going, was that the Spirit of, of, of God or was that something else? So it begs the question then, who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit actually do? Is it kind of these crazy uh, uh, events that you might see on TV or maybe you've been to, to some of these things, what, what does the Holy Spirit actually do in our lives? And maybe even a better question is, what are the evidences that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life? Can you look at things and go, yes, I can tell, you know, the Spirit of God, when I look at, you know, Bob or Corlin, I can tell the Spirit's at work because of X, Y, and Z. Like, are there things that we can point to? Because listen, this is a I, I, this is a highly debated topic. We have enti entire denominations of churches that say the only evidence of the Spirit in your life is you must speak in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Spirit. And we go, well, is that true? Is that actually true? Because, listen, I've been following Jesus for over 20 years. I've never spoken in tongues. Do I have the Spirit in my life? Others would say, well, it's, you know, miracles and signs and wonders and power. And if you don't see that kind of stuff, then, then you don't have the Spirit in your life. There's some denominations that say the Spirit doesn't do anything anymore. So don't worry about it. He's not active anymore. And so you go, well, okay, well, what, what, what is it, right? What does the Spirit do? A great question to be asked, what, what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? Right, if anyone is the authority on the Holy Spirit, it's probably Jesus. Did he ever talk about it? And that's our passage this morning. 
Um, already in the upper room discourse, that's, you know, chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus is teaching his disciples, right? And he's already mentioned the Holy Spirit and said a few things that the Spirit does. The Spirit is called our helper. The Spirit, Jesus said, is going to dwell with you and in you. The, the Spirit, Jesus told us a few weeks ago, is going to bring to remembrance the things that I've said. The Spirit is going to bear witness about Jesus. So already we've seen a few things. Okay, we, we get a little glimpses of what the Spirit is going to do. But in John chapter 16, the section that we're going to look at, Jesus lays out, this is what the Spirit does. And so this morning, really three things that the Holy Spirit does. And how do those things then uh, evidence in your life? Can you look at certain things and go, I know that I have the Spirit of God. Now, I think this is a, a really important message because I talk with Christians all the time. And I'm not exaggerating, all the time, that go and listen to speaker so-and-so or go to event so-and-so, and what they're told is, if you're not seeing crazy things happen, you don't have the Spirit. And then they leave and they go home and they go, I guess I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm not seeing people raised from the dead and legs lengthening and all. And I go, I just thought holy enough. So this message is really important for that type of person that goes, do I have the Spirit? So let's start reading. Verse 5. I actually, it, it, we'll go back to verse 4. It said, Jesus says this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus, a few times, right, has told his disciples, I'm going away. Right? He said, I'm going back to the Father. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. And so he says it again. I'm going to him who sent me. Right? I'm going back to the Father. But none of you asks me where I'm going. Right? So uh, some scholars are like, but wait, they've asked twice already. But I think what he's saying is in this moment, as Jesus is speaking, no one's going, well, time out, Jesus. Remind us again. Where are you going? He says, none of you are asking that. Why? He, he tells us, because a sorrow has filled your heart. Now, as followers of Jesus, um, that should comfort us. Because it, just think of what the disciples are listening to. Last week, Jesus said, the world's going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to drag you out of the synagogues. They're going to kill you. All of these like very sobering things. And I can almost see the disciples sitting around the table like, oh, man, this is really heavy, Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, none of you are asking me where I'm going. I just said I'm going back to him who sent me. But why aren't you asking? Well, sorrow has filled your heart. It's like the disciples are overwhelmed, like rightly so, Right? So Jesus says this in verse 7, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the helper won't come. Like think about the 12 disciples, now the 11, right? Judas has left, who have uh, lived, eaten, been around Jesus 24-7 for three and a half years. The son of God. And now Jesus said, it's actually better for you guys if I leave. I can imagine the disciples going, that's lunacy, Jesus. What could be better than having you here? Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I leave, because when I leave, then the Holy Spirit will come. 
So if the disciples knew why Jesus was going and who he was sending, then they would actually have, have rejoiced. Now, it's not some metaphysical thing that, like, when Jesus says, like, I have to go away so that the, the Spirit comes. It's not as if Jesus is saying, well, me and the Spirit can't be in the same place at the same time. I have to go and, like, tag team him and then he comes. That's not what he's talking about. But think about in the Old Testament. Um, over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit was promised and it was always connected to the new covenant, right? Think about Ezekiel. Think about Jeremiah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a new covenant, and my spirit is going to dwell in you. Well, the Holy Spirit can't come, can't uh, characterize and bring the kingdom of God in its fullness until Jesus, what, brings the new covenant by going to his death and his burial and his resurrection and ascension. So Jesus is saying, it's way better if I leave because then you get the Holy Spirit and you get the new covenant, God's presence living in you. So think about that. Us sitting here now, it's actually better. We're better off now than when Jesus walked the earth. Because we have the Spirit. Right? So think about it. I know some Christians who are like, man, if I could just go back, it would be way better if I could just be with Jesus physically when he was on the earth. Jesus would say, no, it's not. It's way better for you now. Since I went back to the Father. Why? Because you have the Spirit with you always. So Jesus promises the Spirit. Now, we're going to get into, Jesus now is going to tell us, what does the, the Spirit do? So the first thing is this. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Verse 8, Jesus says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So what does the Spirit do? Jesus tells us this is what the Spirit's going to do. He's going to convict the world regarding those three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now the word convict here, um, it's pronounced in the original language, elenho, and it, it's the idea of exposing, um, it's the idea of uh, literally convicting, disciplining, it's the idea of like um, sin or, or something being exposed that you can actually, you know, when you think about in our day and age when, you know, oh, they found out this about this person and it, it blows up in the media, like, oh, they were exposed. That's kind of the word convict. It's like things are now brought into the, the light. They're not in secret anymore. So this is one of the things the Spirit does. He convicts the world in three areas. Jesus says, concerning sin, verse 9, because they don't believe in me. So one of the things that the Spirit does is he comes and he convicts and he exposes a lack of belief in Jesus. Um, the greatest sin that someone can commit is a refusal or a failure to believe in Jesus. Like if, if someone were to ask you, what is sin? Is my battery dying, maybe? That's half. We're good. Okay, if someone were to ask you, what is the worst sin? You might think of sins in your mind, but the worst sin someone can commit is refusing to believe in Jesus. And isn't that all sin, though? Like, we've talked about this before. All sin is when we refuse to believe the truth about God and we believe a lie about God. 
Even think of the first, thi- uh, first sin in Genesis 3. What was it? And we go, well, they ate the fruit. Well, that was the, the outcome of the sin. What was the sin? They believed a lie about God. God's holding out on you. Don't you know that if you uh, disobey him, you'll be like God? So really, all, all sin is, is a refusal to believe Jesus. And so what the Spirit does then, he convicts the world concerning sin, meaning, you know, he's exposing a failure to believe in Jesus. People, people will admit to all sorts of stuff. People will admit to failures or vices or, or bad habits, but we don't like to talk about sin. We go, ooh, don't say the S word, right? It just feels so ugh, serious. But a mighty working of the Spirit of God It's necessary to convict people of their refusal to believe Jesus. Secondly, Jesus says, they'll, verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. So the Spirit convicts the world, exposes, disciplines the world concerning righteousness. And Jesus says, because I'm out of here. I'm going to the Father. I won't be here anymore. So it's like this idea that Jesus is no longer going to be physically present to teach his disciples and convict them about righteousness and justice. And so the Holy Spirit is going to carry on that function. The Holy Spirit will, will convict us of what righteousness is. What does right living look like? What does justice look like? And then lastly, Jesus says, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So this is really interesting. The world thought that they were judging Jesus by nailing him to a cross, right? They said, we've rendered judgment. You are a blasphemer. We're nailing you to a cross. But but in reality, as that took place, who was being judged? The world and Satan and sin and death. They were being judged and defeated on the cross. So one of the things the Holy Spirit does is it's like he vindicates Jesus. He exposes that, look, Jesus was telling the truth. You guys were wrong. You rendered wrong judgment about Jesus. And as the fact of of coming judgment is proclaimed, right, when Jesus returns, the Spirit convicts people of that and and prepares them for salvation. So I hope you know as all three of those things go together. It's like the Spirit works in the minds of the unsaved world to convict them of their unbelief in Jesus, to expose their lack of righteousness, to, to convict them of coming judgment, so that what? So that they would believe the, the truth and be saved. And then, it doesn't stop there, then the, then the Spirit works in believers to continue to convict them of sin and right living. And so when you and I as believers, we wander away from the gospel and we sin, the Spirit is there to convict us about sin and righteousness and judgment, and He brings us back to the truth. And this is one of the the main things the Spirit does. He convicts us. And when I listen to, then here's a good discernment tool for you. As you listen to pastors and evangelists, and speakers, as you listen to me, as you listen to anybody online, and you hear the thing of like, well, they're, they are a spirit-filled so-and-so, they're a spirit-filled preacher, teacher, speaker, a good discernment tool is to ask, is this individual compelling me and urging me to repent of sin, and to live a righteous life? If not, I, I don't know if the Spirit's in it. This is what the Spirit does. What does the Spirit do? He convicts the world of sin. 
I, I've even had conversations with certain Christians that um, don't, who likes conviction, right? But they'll leave churches. I just feel convicted too much. Ugh, I don't like that. I just want to be told how great I am, and I want to be uplifted and encouraged. A sign that the Spirit's at work is that you'll be convicted, and you will repent, and you will turn back to Jesus. It's one of the main things the Spirit does. Secondly, the second thing the, the Holy Spirit does is He points people to the truth. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, this is Jesus still, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. So the, the second thing the Spirit does is that He leads us into the truth. I mean, He's called the Spirit of truth, right? So we can go on a whole rabbit trail about our culture, and every truth is relative, and your truth is great, but it's not my truth, and whose truth are you talking about? Like, Jesus just says there's truth, okay? There's objective truth, and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. He will lead you into the truth. I love that Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit does not speak on his own authority. What he hears from Jesus, that's what he speaks. Now, I want you to notice something so fascinating. What has Jesus said throughout the Gospel of John over and over and over again? Jesus says, hey, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Jesus says, I only speak what the Father tells me to speak. So all along, we've seen Jesus kind of, as he's walking on the earth, he's willingly subjecting himself. He says, I, I don't even speak on my, I'm just, I just say whatever God the Father says. And now Jesus says, when I send the Spirit, he's only going to speak what I tell him to speak. So you kind of see this submission going on in, in, in the Trinity, in the Godhead, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. So notice, the Spirit doesn't just go around doing whatever he wants. Jesus says, he'll say what I tell him to say. There's this mutual submission in the Trinity, and Jesus tells his disciples, I have so many more things to tell you. <laughs> But you can't handle it right now. Remember, they're kind of in shock, like overload. Persecution, Jesus is leaving. And Jesus says, man, I have way more things to tell you. You just can't handle it right now. So the Spirit, when he comes, he'll, he'll guide you into the truth. Now, we need to talk about when, when Jesus talks about truth, there is an inseparable connection between the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures. Like when we say that, that Jesus, oh, the Holy Spirit's just going to guide me into the truth, it's not separate from the Scriptures. There's, there's an inseparable link between our Bibles and, and the Holy Spirit. This is the final revealed Word of God. This is our truth. We don't have to go, oh, Spirit, give me truth. This, this is the truth, right? I mean, we're even told in a couple of places, 1 Peter 1, um, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours 
searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What Peter is saying is that the prophets of old, when they would write Scripture, it wasn't that them just going, I think this sounds pretty good. They searched and thought and inquired carefully to figure out and listen to the Spirit of God guiding them. Even 2 Peter 1 says, knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Right, so Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they're not sitting down going, hmm, what shall I write about today? No, it doesn't come from their own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is the one who inspired the people to write our scriptures. And so one of the Holy Spirit's job, Jesus says, he's going to lead you into the truth. So what that means is that the Holy Spirit would never deter people from studying, reading, and applying Scripture. No no move of the Spirit of God would be without the Scriptures. It wouldn't be, you know what, you don't need this. Let me give you something new. That's why you and I should be rightly suspicious of claims of further revelation that's not supported and found and held up exclusively in Scripture. This is why... Uh, Mormons are not Christians because Joseph Smith, their founder, said, I had a vision and an angel came to me and gave me more scripture that's not here. And it's the book of Nephi and it's the book of the pearl of great price. And I was, I was taken up into heaven and I received it. We should be rightly suspicious of that going, mm, this is it. This is the final revealed word of God. You can look up Reverend Moon, uh, and he's, uh, they're leading a huge thing saying, we have further revelation. We've missed some stuff. This is why um, the author of the Passion Translation, I was whisked away to heaven and to the libraries of heaven, and God showed me John chapter 22. And you'll go, there's only 21 chapters in John. You're right. I received new revelation. We should go, eh, red flag. The Holy Spirit would never deter us from the final revealed word of God. He leads us into this. This is our truth, the truth. Even a a great example is Acts chapter 8. And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the Old Testament, and he's so confused. And then Philip is there, and he gets in the chariot with him. And the guy, the, the Ethiopian guy says, well, how am I supposed to understand this? No one can interpret it for me. And, and so this is before Scripture is written, right, the New Testament. And notice that Philip doesn't say, ah, don't worry about that. I got something way better for you. It says in Acts 8.35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into the truth which is found in God's word. He helps us study it and learn it and apply it to our lives. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. The Holy Spirit guides us into the truth. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Verse 14, he will glorify me. That's Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. For he'll take what is mine and declare it to you, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. So this is an amazing, again, it's like we're getting this little window into how the the Godhead, the Trinity, works. 
right? All along, Jesus has said, man, I only bring glory to the Father. And now we're told the Spirit is going to glorify Jesus. And the Father exalts Jesus. So you see this humility in the Trinity where each member, Father, Son, and Spirit, is focused on the other one. Right? It's like the Spirit goes, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And Jesus goes, no, all glory to God the Father. And God the Father says, have you seen my son? He's glorious. Right? They're all worshiping the other one. So what that means then, if the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, if that's one of his roles, any ministry or church that distracts people away from Jesus, away from the cross, distorts his nature and the gospel or diminishes the glory of Jesus isn't empowered by the Holy Spirit. Any ministry that takes the focus off glorifying Jesus, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. That's one of his jobs. So whenever I listen to a speaker or I read a book or I watch something, and again, it's claiming to be, this is filled with the Spirit, it'll change your life. I ask, is this content or is this person or is this material exalting and glorifying Jesus and Jesus alone? Um, Steve Lawson says this, the Holy Spirit's desire is that we be focused on Jesus Christ, not himself. That is the Spirit's chief ministry. He is pointing us to Jesus, bringing Christ more clearly into focus. When the Holy Spirit becomes an end in himself, then we've misunderstood his ministry. I remember there's one church in the States and one of their kind of like mission, they say, or their whatever you want, their tagline is that we're just, gonna, we're just chasing after the Spirit. The Spirit himself would say, no, don't do that. Chase Jesus. It's not about me. Right? That's what he does. He glorifies the Son. He points people to Jesus. So then the question is, if like Jesus is telling us, and he'll, he'll tell us more as we go along, but he's telling us what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit convicts the world. He convicts us of sin and righteousness. The, the Holy Spirit guides us into the truth. And the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Then why are so many of us not satisfied in this? And what I mean by that is, like, I know so many of us, and myself included, get tempted that we chase after, well, there's got to be more to, the, to it. Like, why aren't we satisfied in this? The Holy Spirit's going to convict me of sin, the Holy Spirit's going to guide me into the truth, and the Holy Spirit's going to glorify Jesus. And we go, well, actually, I want to see more things than that. Do you want to know why, I think? One, conviction and repentance is really hard. It's not fun a lot of the times. And two, it just doesn't seem sexy enough. Doesn't seem cool enough. Like I want to see crazy stuff happen. It's not supernatural enough. Now don't get me wrong, the Holy Spirit does crazy supernatural things. Like when we went to Zambia, we witnessed a girl who's demon possessed get set free from that demon. So I'm not don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't do things like that, but is that really the point? Do we chase after that kind of stuff? I think one of the reasons is, is that we've misunderstood the miraculous power of the Spirit in these things. Right? We look at conviction of sin and we don't realize how unbelievably miraculous that is. 
One, I think because we get salvation wrong a little bit. And so then when someone is saved by God, we're, we're not celebrating the miracle that it is because I think we've, we've misunderstood it. Uh, lots of us, we view salvation as, well, you're a pretty good person and then uh, uh, you hear about Jesus and then you decide, sure, I'll follow Jesus. And he kind of fixes your life up a, a, a bit. And then, yeah, what's miraculous about that? Right, if you could view it this way, a lot of us view salvation as that we're in the ocean um, and we're trying to swim. I mean, we're swimming, but we're, we're having some trouble swimming and then Jesus comes along in the boat and he kind of throws you a life raft and you're like, oh, thank you, you saved me. That's not salvation. Do you want to know what salvation is? You willingly swam to the bottom of the ocean and died your body is down there, and God comes on a boat, and he dives into the water, and he pulls you up onto the boat, and he does CPR on you, and you're not breathing, and then you spew water, and you begin to live, and Jesus says, saved. That's salvation. That's miraculous when that happens. That's what the Spirit does. He convicts you of your sin and lack of righteousness and that's coming and God saves you like we should celebrate that way more that is a miracle and then not only that the spirit sanctifies you which is miraculous that sinners like us can actually be sanctified set free from sin that is a miracle and I think sometimes just still, we, we misunderstand it a little bit. I mean, I think of my own life for years, all through high school, into university. I would come home and look at pornography for hours, every day. And now, I, I have no desire for that. And people would go, wow, what did you do? That's amazing, good for you. And I'm like, I did nothing. The Spirit of God sanctified me. That's a miracle. That's what he does, right? It's a life of repentance, a life lived in response to the convicting work of the Spirit. It's our sanctification. That is, that is miraculous that God does that. I mean, even Romans 8 says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's miraculous. Galatians 5 says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's Wait, I won't desire fleshly sinful things? That's miraculous. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So the Spirit's work of convicting us and sanctifying us is miraculous. And, and we just have to get better at seeing that. When I see someone that has struggled with depression and anxiety and now Jesus has freed them from that, I don't go, yeah, but like, have you had any really miraculous things happen? I go, that's unbelievable that you were set free from that. Like, praise God. Then, secondly, we, we sometimes just view the Scripture as, yeah, it's just kind of boring. There's got to be something more. And then what happens is it becomes this vicious cycle 
where we begin to just seek experiential things, where we go, this is just so boring to every day read it and make sense of it and apply it. There's got to be more. And then what happens is that you, you will get stuck in a vicious cycle where you will have false teachers that then promise you, man, if you just do this, then you'll experience crazy stuff. Like just recently, and we recorded a podcast about it, but I'll just mention it. Just recently, I heard a guy speaking. Well, the reason that you don't have power in your life is you were baptized wrong. You were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then you'll receive crazy power. And what happens? Okay, I'll try it because this just seems so boring. And then I'm baptized. And what happens? Most of people go home, go back to their jobs, and they go, ah, it didn't work. Okay, there's got to be something else that kind of unlocks some secret thing. Like we just want, I want a fresh word. This is just old and outdated. There's got to be something exciting. Like, this is miraculous, people. We have the scriptures. This is a miracle. I remember sitting down with a pastor uh, a few years ago when we were just talking about uh, sermon prep and stuff like that. And he asked me, how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? And I said, well, anywhere from 15 to 20 hours a week. And he was just kind of like, what? And I was like, well, what do you do? (laughs) He said, usually Saturday nights. I'll just kind of like ask the spirit for some guidance, and he'll, he'll give me something. And then his, his, his response was, I just feel like that's more spirit-led. I'm like, well, why don't you just let the spirit lead you in study for 15 to 20 hours a week and like put some effort into it? But right, because we just view, ah, does the spirit really speak through this? I got I to gotta like get some new revelation from God. One of the marks, right, I said we were going to talk about One of the marks of being a spirit-filled Christian and a spirit-led Christian is do you love the truth of God's word? Like if someone asks me, hey, is so-and-so spirit-filled and there's someone who loves the word of God, I would say, yes. Man, they are spirit-filled. They love the truth that is in God's word. It's one of the marks You will know that you have the Spirit with you if you have a deep love for the Word of God, a desire to understand and grow and learn, a longing to know more about who Jesus is and the truth that's found in this book. So I want to encourage you. I know because I I have conversations like this all the time. There's lots of you who just feel like, I just feel like a less than Christian, Because I I look at stuff online or I hear stories and I just, I'm not seeing crazy things happen all the time. I just feel like, am I even spirit-filled? But look look at what Jesus says. He promises that he's going to send us the spirit and he says the spirit is going to convict you of sin. The spirit, right, he's going to sanctify you. The spirit is going to lead you into all truth and the Spirit will glorify Jesus. So do you want to know if you're Spirit-filled? Look at your life. Is your life one of ongoing repentance? When the Spirit convicts you of sin, do you repent and turn to Jesus? Do you study and love the truth that is found in Scripture? And if people would look at your life, do you exalt Jesus in just everyday things? Brother, sister, you are a Spirit-filled Christian. 
And do not buy into the lie that somehow you're less than or you got to level up or if you unlocked or did something, then you would be really spirit-filled. If your life is marked by repentance, a love of God's word, and exalting Jesus, you have the spirit of God. This is what he does. And, and it's miraculous that he does that in you, isn't it? That broken people like us would be convicted of sin and repent. That broken people like us would love the word of God and, and the spirit would, would reveal truth. That broken people like us can lift our hands and exalt Jesus. That is a miracle of the spirit. So, Father, I just thank you for your word. Um, I just thank you for the encouragement that it is. Um, Jesus, I know so often... Um, I can become very discouraged if I consume things online or listen to false teachers or listen to people that don't have my best interest in mind and I, and I hear things like, well, if, if you really are a true Christian, you'll do this and you'll see this and you'll experience this and it can be so discouraging. But Jesus, I thank you that you tell us what the Holy Spirit does. That if our lives are marked by ongoing conviction and repentance, that if our lives are marked by a growing love of your word and the truth found in it, and if our lives are marked by in everything we do exalting Jesus and pointing people to him, then we have the spirit of God. And all of those things are miracles. So help us, God. I pray if anything that today would have been an encouragement to some who just feel less than. Jesus, not that, that we would become arrogant and puffed up and go, hey, I'm spirit-filled, but that you would just encourage those who, who look at their lives and have bought into the lie that unless they see all of these crazy things, that they're a less, lesser Christian. I, pr I pray that you would encourage my brothers and sisters. Encourage them to respond to your conviction with repentance. To encourage them to, to be in the word of God and to, to study and learn and seek the truth that is found in here. And that they would learn and grow in exalting you, Jesus, in just the everyday stuff of life. So I thank you, Jesus, that you give us this, the Holy Spirit. I thank you for the work that he does in us. And would you just strengthen us and encourage us and be people who walk with the Spirit. And so I just pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.